We talking rom-com, we talking action, we talking drama and movie classics. Whatever you want, yo, we have it. Cause we talking movies on a podcast. So I married a film critic. So I married a film critic. So I married a film critic. Hey honey, I just wanna so talk I about the movie like casually. Critic. You don't have to so bring up married- cinematography. Honestly, let's just talk about like how the characters were fun. Married a film critic. So I married a film critic. So I Welcome to So I Married a Film Critic. I'm your co-host Julia. And I'm Barry. Hello, everyone. He's the film critic. Allegedly. <laughs> How's everybody doing? So last night you asked me if I wanted to watch a movie and I said, which one? And you told me it was called Mass. And I'm like, is this some horror movie trick that you're trying to play on me? <laughs> it's short for Massive Attack. <laughs> yeah. No, the, just the title of the film is Mass. And I said, okay, well, tell me something about it. And you said, well, it's best if you just go in blind, which you always say. But it's true in this case. And you just said it's four people in a room and they're having a meeting. And I'm like, in the basement of a church. And I thought, I have no idea where this could possibly be going. Well, you asked me some specifics. You asked, is this like some weird like sexual thing? Like, no, no, no. Or I said, is it going to be horror, psychological, like weird? And you're like, no, drama. Yeah, I said, it's just a drama. And I think that's all you need to know. I mean, honestly, I think the... The company, Bleecker Street, um, this movie is, is, I mean, we're recording this in the fall of 2021. This movie is, is slowly making its way around uh, theaters. It's critically acclaimed, and there's a lot of Oscar buzz for it for, for reasons we'll get into. They're doing a good job promoting it. I will say, unfortunately, that the trailer spills it all out. There's a key line of dialogue that's in. Like, don't watch the trailer. If you haven't seen this movie, and we will have spoilers, so again turn it off and go see it before you listen. But don't watch any trailers. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate because, to, to be clear, it, it, it's this Episcopal church. We know that there are two couples who are, who are husband and wife. They're going to be meeting each other in the basement of this church. There's a there's a table that's been set up. There's a lawyer. There, we just don't know. We really don't know anything. why they're there. We don't know what the meeting is about. We just we could sense from the church the 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 few church members that are there who are setting things up that this is this is tense. It's a big deal. It's a very big like, deal. Like people it's, know it's about it. No, yeah. but they know what it is. You know what I mean? But we also understand that they're they they shouldn't be talking about it. There's something. Right. There's something kind of taboo about it. Yeah, yeah. it's so it I mean the first I mean the setup of the film, which is just them getting there and arriving, I found unbearably intense, honestly. Unbearable. I was laying on the couch going, okay, what is it? Why are they meeting? Who are these people? We meet the couple. It's interesting. One couple we meet before they get to the church for the meeting, and, and uh, it's played by Jason Isaacs and Martha Plimpton. I grew up with Martha Plimpton. She's, of course, in Parenthood. Uh, she she was with River Phoenix for a while, and she did a few films with him. She was in one of my favorite movies, Beautiful Girls. Yeah, she's an, she's an amazing character actress, uh, and I and that, I hate that phrase. It always sounds like such a backhanded compliment, but whatever. She doesn't she doesn't need to be the star. She's always been just. Solid. She's, she's so versatile, so good. Uh, she's done a great theater too. I've always been a fan of hers. And then playing her husband is Jason Isaacs, who I think has made a pretty steady career playing bad guys. He's probably best known for Harry Potter. Um, I certainly think of him as, as the bad guy in The Patriot. He's also Captain Hook in the version of Peter Pan. I really like the P.J. Hogan one. So they're and then they're both playing an American couple. And I I don't think I've ever seen Jason Isaacs play an American before. And I got to say, it's seamless. Yeah. Perfect. I, I mean, you would it, never guess this dude ain't from around here. Like, where is yeah, he from? He's Jason Isaacs. Yeah, I, I believe he's British. Oh yeah, I I, I had no I idea. I don't. I didn't even think about it. Yeah, they were they yeah. were great. Yeah, rock solid. So we we meet them outside of the church. They're in the car. They're having second thoughts about even going to this thing. And it's interesting too because again, we don't know the nature of it. We don't know if we're looking at protagonist or antagonist yeah we yeah we're, it's we're like, really are they the good guys or the yeah. bad guys like why yeah yeah so it's we, it puts you in a really 
uncomfortable place. It really does. And I got to say, like, it's a very smartly made film. And we'll get into more of that specifically. But the writer-director, Afran Kranz, uh, he, he basically, it feels so real. It feels very authentic. It, it doesn't feel like a particularly contrived film. Even the business of the uh, the workers at church, the lady and the young oh, man. She was funny. And, and this movie needs any bit of levity it has. I mean, any bit, any bit of comedy whatsoever. And it's, it's not really comic relief, but they, they feel like real people. They, they oh. don't even seem like actors. <laughs> like the gal, she's this really pretty redhead and... She comes downstairs and the the guy, there's a guy doing dishes and she's like, will you help me set up this room? And, and she's like, why are you doing dishes? And he's like, well, somebody left a mess. And she's like, did the AA meeting not clean up? He's like, no, they always clean up. It's the Al-Anon meeting. <laughs> it's just funny. It's good stuff. And it's, it's a good setup. And I'll say quickly that the thing that I was a little hard on, not even hard on this film, but the, the thing that jumped out at me initially was that I thought this, this is a play. Hmm. This, you know, this is probably, maybe he wrote it as a play first, or maybe he envisioned it as a theater piece. Um, but I think it's, without getting too deep into hyperbole, I think it, it's brilliantly edited and shot in a way that I never felt like it was uh, um, claustrophobic. It never felt like it was so forced. It, you know, to use the term, not only is it opened up enough that it escapes any kind of theatrical staging in its origin, I, I felt like I was a fly in the wall. I never would have thought it was a play, but really? it would make a really good play. And I'm glad that it isn't. Um, and, and the writer-director, Frank Kranz, um, this this guy, I mean, I remember him 10 years ago. He was in The Cabin in the Woods, which, is, of course, is the Joss Whedon uh, horror film. And he plays a character who looks and sounds uncannily like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. It's, 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 a, it's a goofy and fun performance. Who would have thought? Yeah, this guy's got <laughs> some his, deep, deep thoughts. In this his, is a directorial yeah. debut, and he wrote it too, which is astonishing. He's a, he's a young dude, and this is, the, the, you know, it's easy to do something like this and make it look like an actor showcase. And forgive me, I know we got to talk more about the plot, but I just, I got to say, like, one of the things that made me hesitant about even wanting to see a film like this, because I just think this is just an actor's exercise. This is going to be a movie where four good actors just have the excess to scream at each other for two hours in the name of great acting. And, you know. Um, yeah, and it's not going to feel real. Yeah, and, and neither of those things are true about this. But we, we can continue. No, with the I plot. mean, okay. Oh, it's just at the end of this movie, I was literally like speechless. Yeah, it leaves you speechless. Yeah. But, but yeah. okay, so. They um they come downstairs and they're waiting and it's just like agonizing. And so then who's Because you don't know. Yeah, because ag- you don't know and you're, yeah. you're every crumb of, of 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 dialogue, every exchange, you're trying to extract something. We get that there is tension, we get that the people at the church know what's going on and they're trying to be hush hush about it. Uh, but yeah, but we just don't know. And it's 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 extremely discomforting. So the second couple that comes in is and played by... Played by the wonderful Reed Burney, who is a acclaimed Broadway actor, multiple uh, Tony Award winner, and of course, Ann Dowd, uh, arguably best known as Aunt Lydia from The Handmaid's Tale, but another brilliant actress who's been around a long time. Yeah, so when I saw them, I was like, oh, okay, another just like normal, regular couple, you know? And they're just like, oh, hi, you know, good to see you, you know, thank you for your letters. So you're like, okay, there's been some letter writing here. And Dowd brings her flowers. She made like a little bouquet. And it's it's like, okay, these people know each other, but how do they know each other? And by the way, we should probably just say like, like they have character names. Well, let's just refer to them by the actor name. Yeah, That's it's, probably it's too confusing. Cause, yeah, because the, the couple, Martha Plimpton and Jason Isaacs, they're playing Gail and Jay. And then of course- uh, Too confusing. Yeah, Richard and Linda, or Reed, Bernie, and Anda. But yeah, we're just going to refer to them by the actors' names. And no disrespect, because uh, th- these, are, these are four, as far as I'm concerned, perfect performances. Yeah, so they sit down at the table and they start, I don't know, just like- Initially, they're just, they don't say anything. Yeah. Initially, there is an uncomfortable, si- how, one of many uncomfortable Well, it was silences. like, how was your drive? Right. How was your travels? And and then Ann Dowd says, you know, how's your daughter? So you're like, okay, there's kids. So Martha Plimpton, that couple has a daughter. The Ann Dowd couple has a son. And so initially, you're like, okay, I was thinking, does it have to do with those kids? I, I didn't know. And then um, 
Martha Plimpton shows some photographs of of it's been established of yeah. a different son. Well, of her family. Yeah, yeah, it's been established that they had talks through the lawyer beforehand that there would be an exchange there, of pictures. Yeah, an exchange yeah. of pictures. And we yeah. never get to see the pictures. So yeah, we don't ever get to see anything like that. Yeah. And so that was interesting. And so you're like, okay, you find out there's another son. And then Anne Dowd, instead of pulling out photographs, she pulls out what looks like a mason jar that was decorated by a child. And it's like she's telling this story about snails, how her son liked to catch snails, but then they would die. And so he made like a fake snail garden. And everyone, and so I'm like, what is, where's this going? Like, that's like, are they, are they little kids? You know, it's very confusing. Um, I don't even know how to transition into what the surprise is because it's just, the conversation feels so real. Like it actually could have happened. Something could have happened this way. I don't know if there was ever a moment these actors improvise because it, it seems like the script, I'm assuming, I don't know. I, I have no inside info on the making of this film, but it just seems like they stuck to the script because there's really, there, there's no... Uh, they had to have stuck to a script. It had to be word for word. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's tight. It doesn't, I mean, it's, it's, it's intense, but it's also brisk, yeah. I found. Yeah, and like, and out asks Martha, like, so you said you were seeing a therapist and that's going well. And, and, you know, it's interesting. They're asking each other questions and then people are responding. And it's like, it's funny. One of a couple will respond and the other partner, they show the reactions and it's almost like they're talking, biting sometimes. Yeah. It's yeah. Biting. And something I noticed because watching it with you last night was the yeah. second time I've seen it. There are times where the actors don't have any dialogue, but they facially react oh, like yeah. they do. And I, Martha yeah. Plimpton, at times, I'm like, this is a master class on how to do this. Yeah. There's a scene where she and her husband are recalling what they learned from therapy. And the husband says the wrong term. And he's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. And you and you watch Plimpton, and she's making a face saying, yeah, it matters. Yeah, you should know. Yeah, it's kind of like you and me when, I, when I'm when i like, no, that's not the right word. Oh, and- yeah, no, I couldn't relate to that at all. <laughs> No, absolutely. There's, yeah, everything about this film feels uncomfortably lived in. Yeah, because they, okay, so they say, you know, our therapist said, we're not going to interrogate you. We're not going to attack you. You know, we're, we want to just have a conversation. And it's just, I mean, the whole time I'm, how long till they, the reveal? It's a very long. 30 minutes? Maybe 30 minutes. I mean, we we should just get to it, I guess. Uh, The, the, the line, unfortunately, that's in the trailer, which I wish it wasn't. Um, But again, like that's neither here nor there, (laughs) but it is, it is the, it basically tells you what the film is about, which is at one point, Martha Plimpton's character says to, and dad, I want to know about your son. And I want you want to know about my son. I want to know everything about your son. Well, he killed mine, so I want to know about yeah. him. And that's where and then there's a there's a bit of a pause. You so you blame yourself. I'm asking do you blame yourself? No, I want to know. I didn't come here to talk politics. I want to know. We don't want interrogate. I can imagine how hard it is to live with his actions. It is. But our loss. Please just tell me what you mean by that. When you talk about blame on your part, I want to know what you're referring to. There is nothing that wasn't covered in the depositions. But I want to hear it now. We never filed against you. We never took part in any of that. Maybe a better way than interrogating is to to learn what we remember. Fine. So, tell me what you remember. Tell me about your son. What would you like to know? Everything. I want to know everything. Why? Why do I want to know about your son? Because he killed mine. And it, it's great because it doesn't feel like the actors are pausing. It's, yeah. it's what happens when you're talking with a group of people and somebody says something that just 
Somebody physically says, shocks you. Somebody says the honest thing that everyone's thinking. Like they finally say they it. They finally say it and the audience finally goes, oh, we now we understand what this yeah, is. Yeah, so basically yeah. there was a school shooting and Jason Isaacs and Martha Plimpton's son, Evan, is one of the victims. Yeah. So Evan is the victim and Hayden was the shooter. And again, to stress, there's no flashbacks. No. At one point, there is a vivid and really horrifying verbal recounting of exactly what happens at the school shooting. It's an yeah. agonizing moment. It's also necessary. It's just all talking, though. It's not... It's also, yeah, it's all yeah. talking. There's no sound effects. There's nothing. But it's it's telling it like a story, uh, moment by moment, to understand exactly the nature of the shooting. And as I told you, um, even watching it last night, it was hard because... I mean, I remember where I was when Columbine happened. I think a lot of people do. And certainly, yeah. you know, you and I were both in, well, I was in Colorado. Were you I in was in California. California? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the details of it are very similar, uh, very similar to Columbine, although in this case it's it's one boy, not two. Yeah. Um, but the the specifics of the, of the, of the tragedy are, are similar to Columbine. And well, I think because they mentioned like a library. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and also uh, how it how it ends, and also, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if the director thought about the parents of Columbine or school shootings in general when he decided to write this. Yeah, this is it's definitely an angle I've never seen portrayed, and I got to say too, to get back to the film, but you know, this reeks of. Um, it was it was called God, God of Carnage on Broadway. The movie was called Carnage, the Polanski film, where it's four people in a room, which, by the way, is exactly what, what I was afraid this was going to be. And I like that movie, but it's four people screaming at each other for two hours <laughs> yeah. for laughs, but that's what it is. And um, the Mike Nichols film, which you haven't seen, I don't think, called the Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf with Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, which is also – that's four people drunk yelling at each other for two hours, uh, Edward Albee. And I gotta say, like those those are good movies, but I don't like those kinds of films. And I've only seen those once, and I'm never gonna watch them again. I don't yeah. care about films that show actors being histrionic and screaming at each other. There's too many examples of that sort of nonsense. Well, because and this mo- sorry, my point is just that this movie avoids that yeah. completely. Well, because none of us can relate to that at all. You know, most of the time. We have like imaginary conversations in our head and we think that's what we would do. And it never happens. You know, the conversation, the confrontation, it's always, I don't know. Yeah, everything, I agree. Everything about this, the pauses, sometimes the characters are struggling to, they're putting their sentences together as they speak, as, as most people do. But you really hear it. There's 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 language in this dialogue. It doesn't feel like exposition. It really feels yeah. thoughtful. It's storytelling. It's character building. And it gives the actors the opportunity to fill in the blanks with the nuance that they bring to their performances. Yeah. And these are not hammy performances at all. I, and something I wrote about in my review, I kind of regret it now having seen, this, seen the film a second time, but... The first time I saw it, I thought Anne Dowd was giving kind of a mannered performance. You know what? I think, and I mentioned this in my review too, I think my problem might have been just that initially her character irritated me so much mm. that I was resistant to it. And looking at the film again, I, I think her character is definitely the, more, the most demonstrative with her emotions. There's something kind of earthy and flightery about her, um, mm-hmm. respectfully. But yeah, I, I think I was so resistant to her initially, and that's, of course, the character and the performance that, as I've told you, like really moved me the most when the film is, is over. Yeah. I think what struck me the most about their conversation was when Ann Dowd says, like, tell me a story about Evan. And I think, you know, they get a chance to talk, to tell a couple stories about the kids. And it just is so moving. And you know, when the dads kind of go at it and they, you know, they kind of talk about their, I don't know, the science behind, you know, why people do what they do and mental illness. And well, maybe he had a problem with his frontal cortex, you know, like they, they really, they spend a few minutes kind of just going on these rabbit trails and you can see the wives just like in pain physically. (laughs) 
Bipolar disorder, depression, mania, ADHD, possible schizoaffective disorder. None of that is psychopathy. You don't know what you're talking about. If you take the medical records with the criminal report, which we now finally we have the full report, don't you have to weigh the evidence, the facts of what he did against your personal relationship, your history those with things. Him. It wasn't always those things. We can trace how far back to when he started planning it. We can trace his footsteps, for Christ's sake. I don't think the timeline definitively proves anything about his mental state. How can you say We're that? We're not denying what he did or who he became. Well, well I can't help but hear you blame a, a, a not abnormal childhood. He was my son. I can't remove my feelings from our history or his records. I'm not asking you to. I'm saying that what he did, his, his capacity for murder was probably potentially there a long time before anyone could have known. You think you can attach one word to something in order to understand it? To make you feel safe? Well, I won't say it. I don't believe it. It's not simple. It's everything you cannot see. These yeah. are these are not stupid conversations. These no, are no. these are I mean, well, just to say like these are the the exchanges are very intelligent. Yeah. And there's not a game of one-upmanship. It's just that Martha Plimpton and Jason Isaac's characters, they're there for a reason. They they need closure. They need closure and and they openly admit it's a part of them wanting to know how much the other parents have suffered, how yeah. much they actually knew, how much, you know, Yeah, like just, didn't you know? Like why didn't you do more? And it you know, it was a lot of those questions and the other parents are like, Well, you know, we did we did. We he saw a therapist, he, you know, he was just quiet. We didn't think there was anything like really wrong with him. We didn't think he would do something like this. And it's just, it's so heartbreaking. And I think, you know, the part, the parts that as a mom, I think struck me the most was when Ann Dowd, she's like, I just, sometimes I think, would this world be a better place if he had never been born? And then she's like, but you know, he, like, I can't, I have these memories of him as a child. You know, I have these, I, I raised him, like I was his mom and I have to come to terms with the fact that I raised a murderer. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm just like bawling. And she's, she's just very honest about like, but his life still had value, like even though it ended up this way. And it's a very interesting conversation just about the value of a human life, like even one that takes so many lives, you know, like you think about people whose kids end up on like death row or something like that, who've done horrific things. And it's like, they have memories of that terrible person as a baby, as a toddler. And I can't imagine like how hard that would be to come to terms with something like that. And she really brings that forth. Like she really brings that message forth of just like, I can't, I can't wish that he had never been born, but it's just so awful. Like I, I don't even know how to live with it. Yeah. And then, you know, the other mom, when she, t she's like, I just want his life to matter, to like mean something. Like I just, I don't want his death to be in vain. And, you know, then Ann Dowd says, tell us a story about Evan. And so she tells this story, you know, it's a sweet story. And, you know, they're smiling and the, the parents are like kind of crying and laughing at, at the story that she's telling. And, and it was like, you know, your son doesn't like have to change the world for his life to have mattered because he changed your world, you know, like he mattered to you. And so again, his life has inherent worth and value because he was a part of your family and he always will be kind of a thing. Yeah. The film wants to engage both sides of the argument, which is impossible um, and admirable the way this film approaches it. This is a film that really, it, it was written with an empathetic hand and performed by actors who are able to to find that it it reminds me of when it reminds me of a couple of things for one thing all the movies that were made about columbine post columbine and i didn't really like them there was one called zero days i believe which was the faux video diaries of the shooters well done uh, i'd never watch it again there was one that was celebrated that gus van sant did called elephant which i 
cannot stand. I've never understood the love for that film. And then Uma Thurman did one, which I, I'm not even going to say the name because it was so terrible. <laughs> Most of them, they're just they're well intentioned, but you know, honestly, I say that about all the films I can't stand. Good intentions always lead to the worst things. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, you know, we meant well. Well, you know, making a movie about school shootings, especially so so soon after Columbine happened, it just felt like a lot of these films didn't quite. They hadn't even processed it, let alone, you know, come up with, you know, any kind of emotional response to it that was appropriate. So, so on the one hand, I wanted to pay the film a compliment and say this is the one film that it's. This isn't a Columbine film, um, but it is dealing with the topic of school shootings, and it deals with it in a way that I thought, especially, I don't want to use balance because that's not the that's not the word at all. It's thoughtful and it's complex in the way it deals yeah. with it. Nuance, nuance, and and something I also wanted to add too that I thought of as you were mentioning this. This uh, this the conversation that you mentioned, this whole idea of of finding the human in the monster, mm-hmm. talking about somebody who is referred to as as just just a demon, and but he was actually a person. It reminds me of uh, doesn't remind me of the film, but it reminds me of the experience you and I had when you and I were first married. I took you to see this film in Denver uh, that was so controversial. It only played in Denver for a week. Do you remember Max? Yeah. About Hitler as a young man. It was with mm-hmm. John Cusack, and it was Hitler as an artist, and the movie is pontificating of what if. You know what if what what if Hitler had decided to be a crappy artist instead of a crappy human being, <laughs> you know, and you know it, it was interesting because the film was such a controversial film, really heavily criticized, but it had these arresting moments like where John Cusack, you know, again because this is Hitler well before he was anything, so there's this there's a moment where John Cusack kind of famously critics have picked on the movie for it, but there's a moment where he goes, Hitler, let me buy you some lemonade, you know, like. Really kind of odd, you know, these odd moments, but the film wants to go out of its way. And the thing that I like about it, the movie really wants to go out of its way to take away all the mystique. Mm. Like it or not, there's a lot of mystique to the image of Hitler. We make him the boogeyman when really he was a little scumbag. He was a human being. Um, who did at times suffer, who did at times, you know, act like human beings do. Um, and it's even hard for me to talk about Hitler that way, but the film is making the point that if we make something to be a one-sided monster, we're taking, we're not only stripping the humanity, but we're also lacking understanding. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and it makes it seem like this, you know, things like this can't happen again when they can, and they do, and they do. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, it's just, it was just. I don't even know how to talk about it, really, because... Well, you're doing fine so far. Well, but it just... You know, you keep... I think your empathy just really switches back and forth between the two couples. And it doesn't feel contrived. It, no. it doesn't... Like, it did, not in a contrived way. It's There's a lot of unspoken stuff that's interesting. The couple played by Ann Dowd and Reed Burney, it's, a, it, it's never spoken about, but clearly they're not together anymore. Clearly, oh, yeah. they've been apart. I didn't think of that. Yeah, they 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 came together, but clearly they don't live together anymore. There are moments where she reaches out to touch him or to hold his hand, and he does not reciprocate. Not in a mean way, but clearly they're done. They've probably been done for a while. Yeah. And that's something the film does not speak of. We get it from their body language. We get it from their performance. And again, I, I think that's a wonderful touch as opposed to over-explaining everything. Yeah. If anything, this movie... It's not vague, but it does make you do a little bit of heavy lifting just in terms of understanding everything. I mean, you you have to listen <laughs> to really get this film. Yeah, if you I have mean, a I, short attention span, it's it's not going to work. I mean, I wish we had had the subtitles, honestly, but it was good because I really had to pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I loved that couple because, you know, she is so endowed. She is so sweet and just like touchy feely and her oh i guess ex-husband he is very he's a businessman he's steely he's cold yeah he's to the point he chooses his words incredibly well and you know you get a sense this is a guy just just absolutely rocks the the least favorite like out of the four because you think okay but we but he allows us to see that he suffered too you know he totally has he's in his way he becomes as transparent as they all do over the course of the conversation they all do become transparent but you know there's an interesting you know they're they're talking and she talks about how Hayden loved to be outside and then they had to move to a different neighborhood and the backyard wasn't as big. And, you know, the husband's like, yeah, but it was a really nice house and a nice neighborhood. And she's like, yeah, it, it was nice. You're right. But 
he loved to be outside and he didn't get to be outside kind of a thing, you know? And just like those things that parents kind of discuss of like, yeah, you know, yeah, you did try to make the best choice at the time. And now we're having to look back with 2020 vision and dissect everything. And now we're having to dissect every little decision that we made and wonder if that was the thing that tipped it, you know, for our kid to make him just, I don't know, go nuts. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not just about understanding how someone becomes a killer. It's also understanding parental failure and the guilt of that. Yeah. Um, you oh, know. the guilt. I, I, cause I didn't really feel like it was about so much about how he became this way as it was them dealing with suffering after this, you know, when they talked about, um, not being able to go to the funeral. I mean, that was heartbreaking. It's powerful. Yeah. It was powerful. Cause you're thinking, you know, there were 10 victims plus the killer who killed himself. And so they're like, yeah, there were 11 kids that died, but only 10 were able to go to the funeral and we didn't get to go. And they speak about how they also went to the school and that was a secretive thing. It's, it's good stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, whether this has any bearing on as to what really happened post Columbine or post any of these awful occurrences, I found it valuable to even consider these things Exactly, because this is because I'm guilty too. you know, when, uh, I'm not going to say their names, but when the boys who committed Columbine, I certainly thought about the parents and I certainly had angry judgmental feelings towards them. You you didn't go into your kid's room. You didn't see that they had plans. You didn't see they had a stockpile. You, you know, and it's something the film plays with too, which I thought this is, this is smart because they, they name names. And what I mean by that is, you know, post Columbine, everybody went after Marilyn Manson. People went Mm. after the matrix. People went after violent video games. This movie doesn't go after art necessarily. It goes after video games. It goes after call of duty. It goes after first person shooter games. It's, Mm -hmm. it goes after, you know, internet culture and, and, you know, bullying, bullying, school bullying. Yeah. So it, it does come up with some, some talking points we've heard before, but not in a way that feels preachy. It's, it's strange because it's, it's a powerful film. I, I I feel I feel it'd be incorrect to say it's heavy-handed. I don't think so. No, it's a heavy. It's the subject matter is heavy, but because these because these characters are talking and not screaming and not yelling, it's not wall-to-wall profanity. Well, they're crying at times. Yeah, it's it's, getting it's really emotional. It's a conversation, and it's it's not a movie that has a specific political point or any no, political point. No. It's really just about the human experience. Yeah, there. there Two examples, when I was in college, um, you know, uh, My Dinner with Andre was a big one, you know, a movie about two men having a conversation in a diner, um, which is a lovely film, and I it, it really lives up to its classic status. But there's another film I loved even more, and it was from the same filmmakers, and it's out of print. It's called Mind Walk. It was with Sam Watterson, John Hurd, and Lee Volman, and it's three people in a castle, in a castle, having this conversation about the world and art, and I love that film. But the thing is, inevitably you're going i'm watching a movie about three people talking and i i just never had that with this with with mass i always yeah. it always felt strangely suspenseful it always felt cinematic and the camera doesn't move a whole lot it's just a bunch of shifting perspectives with the cameras well because well, we, i was wondering how, how how is this is there a resolution yeah. can there be a resolution right. i mean there's you know how does this end yeah because there's all you know is that they signed legal documents basically that they wouldn't use any of this information against them, Yeah, you know, and that this was purely just to find closure, personal, personal closure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, when Martha Plimpton at near the end, she's just, she's like, I forgive you. I mean, I lost it. Like, yeah, these are big moments. Like, you know, this moment, very big moments. She's, yeah, she says she's able to, I can't live like this. I don't, we don't eat. We don't sleep. We don't do anything. This completely yeah. controls our entire life. You know, they're, they have a daughter who's, um, I don't know, dating now, probably like 16 ish, who's been just traumatized. And it's like, yeah, after going through something so traumatic, I think there, 
there's, you know, you go, then there were like the settlements, there were court cases, there's, there's been letters, there's been therapists. I mean, this woman, she's just like, I, I can't keep hating you guys. And she even said, I forgive Hayden, which I thought was, I mean, part of me was like, seriously, like what? (laughs) It just kind of shows all the pre-work that had gone into her life before this conversation, I think. Because it wasn't like, oh, this shooting happened like a year ago. I'm I'm thinking it had been years, you know. Yeah, and it, in the the sequence that you're referring to, it it's again, it's it doesn't feel contrived. The actors are clearly in control here. They're controlling the pacing. They're controlling their choices, and clearly the director is doing a wonderful job of 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 getting that work from them, or not not even getting from them, just encouraging them, but. The, the the obvious example was it, it's not like the you can't handle the truth moment at the end of A Few Good Men. No. This was, and I love A Few Good Men, yeah. but it's always been noted like like Colonel Jessup really cracks easy. Like he really buckles under Tom Cruise's weight, you know. <laughs> You're right, I did. You're right, I ordered the code red. You know. <laughs> and you go, okay, like, wow, for a guy who's, you know, a highly decorated veteran military guy, he really cracks when Tom Cruise yells at him. And Tom Cruise is intimidating. Well, Tom Cruise is the man. (laughs) But no, not to be so jokey about it, but when we get to the moment that you're referring to at the end of the film where where Plimpton's character has this amazing catharsis where it's not just that she's tired. I mean, you can feel like the weight lift off of her. Yeah, this is is an actress who takes a potentially maudlin and potentially disastrous bit of... Bit of... Bit of... Yeah, I mean, this could have really bombed... Uh, but every, every word sounds authentic and, and lived in. Yeah. And I, I, I believe it. And I, I like the pacing of it. I like the way the camera shows the reaction shots, but you know, it's nothing is overstated for a movie that could have been so bombastic and it just, it just avoids that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, after all of that, they just kind of go, well, I think this is a good place to end. They kind of have like a moment of silence which I thought was appropriate. And then everybody kind of says their awkward goodbyes. Yeah. um, But then that, the story at the scene with Ann Dowd coming back into the church after the ex-husband, he's already left. And she says, I want to tell you a story about Hayden. And it's heartbreaking because it's not, you know, Martha Plimpton's story is very sweet and, fun and uplifting and you think yeah that's like how you would describe a teenage boy you know and and then Ann Dowd just tells you just this horrific story about her son and it's like that's what she has to live with is that knowledge it's it I don't know how anybody can move past something like that you know well, the scene you're referring to is what made me love the film. I remember even watching it thinking, this is big. This film is full of so many moments that, you know, when you think of what a climax in a film is, when you think of what a finale in a film is, what the third act moment is, you know, a car crash, an explosion. And in this movie, it's it's these conversations where these revelations come out. Yeah, but the final moment where and Dad's character returns it's so surprising because, to say the least, the movie is starting to overstay its welcome. Yeah, the conversation yeah. is over. You're like, oh, well, they finished we're the conversation. Yeah, there's, so there's there's a bit of business of 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 just the the flowers that was brought that was given yeah, to Martha Plimpton. Yeah, how are we going to get these flowers back to our? And it see it know. seems kind of banal, and you're like, mm-hmm. okay, like just like the end credits can start rolling anytime now. And and no, yeah, the endowed character reappears, and it's interesting the way they shoot it too. I really watched it this second time really closely because I remember the first time I saw it, I had the most awful thought. I thought, oh no, did like did Aunt Dowd return like you know with with a with a gun or like what are the what <laughs> oh, are they oh i actually had that thought what too. are they reacting to yeah because yeah. the because the way they've the way it's filmed is uh the 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 first couple if you will played by jason isaacs and, and martha plimpton they're speaking to the church folk about the flowers and then suddenly they realize that there's someone else in the room they both turn towards the camera and there's this moment of like oh you and then we see Aunt Dowd. so i really i wonder like what in the world how what is happening here and then Ann Dowd steps forward with this monologue, which is quite remarkable. And uh, it, it ends with her and, and Martha Plimpt, 
Plimpton embracing. And yeah, that, that was, that was the crusher moment for me. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, for one thing, what that moment means to them emotionally is, is such a breakthrough and it's such an amazing moment for them as characters. It's an amazing thing for us to witness because it doesn't, again, like everything else in this movie, it doesn't feel contrived. It feels like it's happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I was so blown away by that decision. Yeah. Because it, because th- that moment right there, you can't say this is an actor's exercise. You can't say that this is merely a stunt of four people in a room talking because it has that scene, which is so incredible. Yeah. Um, I mean, basically she's yeah. admitting that her son was violent and would have like just beat the crap out of her. And he said he was going to, and but she, he didn't. And she's just as like, I would have taken like all the hits that he would have given me if it had like would have changed anything, you know, basically. Isn't that what he said? It is. And, and I got to say, it's, it is surreal seeing Ann Dowd in this role. Yeah. It is surreal because uh, for years I've been watching her on The Handmaid's Tale where she is this oppressive, the, the worst, religious fundamentalist. Uh, really, violent. yeah, one of the, one of, really one of the best villains on television right now. Uh, we're, we're both fans of The Handmaid's Tale and, um, her work in particular continues to just be astonishing and, and, and her character so horrifying. Yeah. But yeah, to see her in this light, and I've seen her in other things too, and I've seen her in things subsequently. She's kept busy uh, in her breaks of doing The Handmaid's Tale. She's done some movies. Um, but yeah, her, her work here is, is really incredible. And that, that again, the, the final scene is amazing. And then there's a moment after that, which is also very moving, I must say, where the choir. Uh, the choir arrives them. and they start they start singing and the Jason Isaacs character uh he's just like what he's just overcome yeah. by it, by the beauty of it yeah. the music and uh yeah he and his wife have this have this you, you know even to talk about it like it sounds like it's so forced like okay it ends with them embracing and they hear the music but there's something so simple about it because yeah. it is about these two characters that want to get catharsis they want to heal they want to move on and yeah. in and, a, in a sense perhaps they have and even like the gal who works at the church, who's a little annoying and a little earnest, but she's like, she's, she has a line where she says, it's really healing here, you know? And you kind of get the sense of like, no, she really means that. Like she really believes that. Yeah. And there was something that happened in that room for these four people. Yeah. And they it is like they did go to church mm-hmm. and they had the longest confession <laughs> of their life and that was what needed to happen. Would you say it's a religious film? Even even regarding the title. Um I didn't feel like not in a overly Yeah, not in a pronounced way. No, but not in a pronounced way, but I mean it's, it's called so- mass for a reason. You know, and so I think it's religious in the sense that they have an experience and that there is something about confessing your feelings, your thoughts, telling the truth to people that releases your, it just releases something for you. You know, it's like all that pent up, like, all those pent up feelings, all that pent up stories and all those things. It's like, that's why Ann Dowd came back. She knew she wasn't done. You know, she's like, I have another confession. <laughs> There's still this piece of truth I haven't told you yet that if I tell you, maybe I can be free of some of my torment, you know? And if nothing else, I think that's what she needed to do. And and so, yeah, I, I think religious in the sense of people finding catharsis and peace and just being able to move on from like really one of the most horrific tragedies that could happen to parents, not just losing a child, but losing your child in such a violent way, you know, like saying goodbye to your kid and they're going to school and then they don't come back. I mean, no, that's, that's like the worst. I I mean, I'm, I'm doing a disservice, but it's, unthinkable no 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 yeah no it's it's yeah it's a hard one um yeah i told you like not long after columbine i met someone who who managed to get out of the the school um yeah i got to meet a a young columbine survivor and uh i had friends at the college i was going to i was in lakewood which is not that not that close but it was close enough to 
to where Columbine was. And I had a friend who lost, who lost some friends who went to Columbine. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just, you know, it's the film alludes to it too, just how it's, it's so horrible. It doesn't seem humanly possible. Right. So to even as they do in the film, even to go through the specifics, the step-by-step recollections of what actually happened moment to moment, it's, you know, it, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem human, humanly yeah. possible at all. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so horrifying. It is. And I, I love that the movie doesn't try to give us any solutions or this is what you should have done or this is how we can prevent this in the future. It really isn't about that. It's about finding empathy, I think. Yeah, common ground and understanding. Com- and, yeah. Yeah, compassion. And compassion, yeah. yeah. Which is... A, which is to say the least, I mean, it's a film that we really need right now. And I, I think one of the things maybe that this is a religious thing, I don't know, but that um, hating your enemies really doesn't get you anywhere. <laughs> you know, even though they have every reason to hate the son who killed their son and the parents of who raised that killer, you know, it it, it was destroying them. And so... You know, there is that verse like, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. And it's like, if if there's any message, that's probably it, is don't keep that hate in your heart because it's it's not going to do you any good. It's just going to eat away at you. And when Martha Plimpton is like, we don't eat, we don't sleep, we don't do any, this is con- all consuming. It's like, I think that's the message is like, there's any way that you can find peace after a tragedy that you should attempt to do that just for your own sake, not even for any other reason, you know, just so that you can, otherwise you're not gonna be able to live your life. You know, is that's all you'll think about. You were right to point out early on that it's an interesting touch that we never see the photographs. We never see the boys. We never see their faces. We never see what happened. We don't see any footage, no reenactments, nothing. And what it does is it puts you, the audience, completely in the place of these characters. What would you do? What would you say? Yeah, yeah. What? How would you react to this? It's really, if anything, this film, in its simple way, is having a conversation with the audience. Yeah. And that's that's what great drama does. It yeah. really does. I mean, this it it's not telling you exactly. It's it, like you said. It's not telling you how you should feel about this. Mm-mm. It's providing you know, like any smart film, it asks a lot of questions. It doesn't give you the yeah, answers. Yeah, it gives you really no answers. But if it well, if it give, if it gives anything, I mean, I won't. It, I don't think it gives phony uplifts. But I still yeah. found the ending incredibly moving. Yeah. Because again, this is a film that that wants us to come to common ground. It wants us to have compassion and understanding for each other, even when we see one another as enemies or, or, you know, good and bad. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it doesn't take away the fact that there is still, um, you know, mass murder event yeah. that happened. It doesn't take that away. And you would never go, Oh yeah. Like it's fine now. Like, no, you would never say that. Yeah. And the hard, and the hard thing that this film approaches is that it, it's it it's basically the question of accountability. What if you know if you can ask someone who, who was the the parent of a monster child if you can ask them those hard questions? Yeah, what would you ask? And them? We, we you know would you be able to hear? Would you be able to hear that? You know, mm-hmm. would you be able to accept that children are children, babies are babies, and we're all born the same way, and and uh, you know we all end up the same way, and in between, uh, we don't know who we're going to end up with. We don't know what the end result is. We just, we know that we raise children. We try to do our best. Yeah. Do our best. And then, you know, it, and it, 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 sometimes it doesn't turn out to put it mildly, but, and all that's to say, like the, the film even avoids that kind of simple solution. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. Very powerful. Very powerful. So we highly recommend it. You said it was one of your favorites of this year. It's one of the best films of 2021. I feel comfortable saying that I, I I'm nowhere near, coming up with my so-called it's list. It's not even but... the end of 2021, so you know this is high praise. Well, I mean, what does it say that this is a movie about four people in a room talking, and I saw it two weeks ago, and I couldn't wait to see it again. So when I got, you know, when I received a screener for it for Academy Consideration, I said, 
please sit down with me and watch this. Yeah. And if you had said no, I would have watched it by myself, <laughs> frankly, because I saw it on my laptop a few weeks ago, which was, you know, with my headphones on, which was already a, quite a lot. But to see it on a on our bigger screen and, and just to enjoy it with you. Um, it's good to see this with an audience, so to speak, because yeah. uh, it, it's meant for I mean, that. did you cry? Very, very, a lot. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I cried. Not, I cried at the beginning too. I don't know too, if you could I, tell, but I was. There were times. Well, I no, you were sobbing, bawling. Keep I'm, it together. I try to be quiet about these things, <laughs> unless it's like the boy who could fly. Then I openly cry. But um, <laughs> no, uh, I cried a lot in the first couple of scenes just because I knew what was coming, oh, and to yeah. see to, uh, to see both those couples and and to to have us understanding of what was coming. But you know, as you've indicated, I think it is best to see. The, not that this podcast was any help, but it's best to see this not knowing what if it is. If you've listened to this whole podcast and have not seen the movie, well, that's your I, bad. I, no, I no, apologize. I mean, we. I mean, we we called it early on. We said, you know, we're going to be. It's going to be spoilers, and never. There's been, always spoilers. That's the nature of this podcast, yeah. too. But at this, you know, at the same time. And, and to be honest, like if you're if you've listened to it and you're oh that sounds interesting, seeing this film and our description of it is not the same thing. Right. No. Yeah. So yeah, you still you, would recommend it. Even if you're if just you listening to this and like, like I, I thought they were going to talk about mass appeal or uh, or mass extinction or uh, I didn't know it was that mass. Okay, that's fine because you could still see the film and I think be totally blown away by it, even if you know the stuff that that we described is coming because it's it's that good. Yeah, yeah, it's that good. So um, yeah, so yeah, Fran, yeah, Fran Kranz, uh, he made one of the best films of the year, writer, director, first timer, and. Um, yeah, these are four of the best performances of the four, though. I think Martha Plimpton and Jason Isaacs uh, in particular are, 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 uh, Oscar worthy. If not oh, just, yeah. they're, they're incredible in this, uh, just astonishing performances. Yeah. yeah. So would you change anything about it? No, I know there's nothing. <laughs> no, that, no, no, it's, it's hard to even be glib about this movie remotely. Um, not only just because of the seriousness of it, yeah, but... Uh, let's act out an alternative ending. Just kidding. No, no, no. <laughs> Not for this one. Yeah, this, this is a... Yeah, I, I think it's it's near perfect or perfect. Um, well, I was, I was just saying near perfect because, again, I do think there are times where I thought, yeah, this is a stage play. They're they're doing their best to make it not a stage play. But honestly, they do it so well that I had forgotten about the theatrical trappings. As I said, I was in such suspense over every exchange and because I didn't know how looking it was going to end. Looking for clues. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. what I was doing. Yeah, looking for clues. And also, I mean, what? but as I said, once we find out what this conversation is actually about, it's not like we go, oh, okay. No, I mean, it, it makes it worse. It makes it worse. So much worse yeah. because then we realize, oh, this is- This th- is serious. This could get really, really ugly. Yeah. And thankfully, these are, these, are, these are people who are haunted by this. Oh, yeah. And- uh, Of course. Yeah, they're not looking for a fight. They're looking, they're, they're looking to be heard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what everybody's looking for. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So it's timely. It's an important film, and I, I whether people see it in the theater or afterwards, this is a film that needs to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that concludes this episode of So I Married a Film Critic, and we'll see you next time. Aloha.